Welcome to Dead House. I am Dylan. I am Nathan. You have had an adventurous Sunday. I did. Climb Mount Coulomb. Yes. yes. For, for people listening that may not be from Brisbane, it's, <laughs> uh, what would you say, Sunshine Coast mountain overlooking the sea with like mm-hmm. steps, right? It's like oh, rocky, many steps. Yeah, many rocky steps. steps. I think it's probably it's more like 30, 20, 20 to 30 to 40 minute climb up and then back down. It's uh, that's pretty good. Not that bad, but when you're unfit, like myself and <laughs> and the people I went with, it's a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's always worth it. I you. That, that was like one of our regular bonding experiences was mountain climbing. I haven't done it for a while. I have to get back up there. Well, somewhere. you were invited today. You just didn't go. Yeah, I know. I had to clean for a house inspection. As fun as that sounds, but um, and you had a busy week at work. I've heard. Yeah, fucking just busy, just busy, 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 man. I mm-hmm. haven't had much time for horror movies this week. Yeah. See, I actually watched two outside of this one <laughs> for this episode, <laughs> so I've had the, I've, I've made the time, I'll say. Oh, but okay. um, so one of the ones I watched was an Australian horror from I think a year or two ago called Carnifex. I've literally never heard of that. Okay. See, I had not heard of it until I saw the the DVD at work, and I was reading the back, and then I found out it was on binge, I think. So I watched it that night. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. What's like, it about? It's about uh, an apex predator that lived in Australia 50,000 years ago. Oh, and okay. there's like these um, environmental researchers that go out to like land that's been ravished by bushfire to find endangered species so they don't log it. And they inadvertently discover this this creature that starts picking them off. So it's like creature feature. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like they pitch it as like a descendant of the koala <laughs> what the fuck because it's like a literal <laughs> drop bear like that's how it attacks okay but it's actually was this made pretty... by australians or americans yeah. yeah no it was it was filmed in adelaide i think or south australia but it's yeah it's decent like i mean pitching it like if i say it's a horror <laughs> film about a drop bear like it sounds cringe as hell but yes. it was decent like the way it was shot and the pacing it was all right okay that's all right yeah and um i had a show on friday night i went to see la dispute which is... Uh, the hate in French. Yeah, yeah. They're like a, a Michigan spoken word punk band, I guess you'd call them. And uh, at one point, the singer pulled out like a tambourine. The guitarist what switched the to a trumpet for a song or two. It was it was cool. Doesn't sound very heavy metal. It's, um, I don't know. He like, he doesn't really scream. He just kind of like yells diary entries <laughs> over like sick riffs and, like, and drum fills. Like band yelling or? No. Because <laughs> that's, that's a whole different level. No, no. It was, um, it was sick. So that was fun. But uh, anyway, I guess we will let the listeners know what we are discussing today. We shall, and I bet you're excited about this one. I'm very excited. We teased at the end of the last episode that this one is going to be the first film that we discussed from our top fives. Mm -hmm. It is one of mine. Today we are talking about the cult classic, The Exorcist. That's it. 1973. And uh, this film is 50 years old this year. That being in 2023, wait, let me bring out my calculator. (laughs) It is in fact 50 years it's aged pretty well. I um I still find it one of the scariest films that I've seen, and uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to to talk about it now is because the director William Friedkin passed away last week. Unfortunately, the was that last of, week? Yeah, the start of last week, I okay. think. Last um, Monday, not R- Monday, just gone. R.I.P. to that man. Yeah, eighty-seven, and um, I think he's known for doing the French Connection, was his other big one, but The Exorcist is the only one I'm familiar with that, mm-hmm. that he's credited for but surely his biggest claim to fame yeah yeah i'd say so and um i think he also had a history of being a documentary filmmaker as well which is why they sought him out to direct the exorcist because they wanted a very realistic like natural feel to it 
Okay. I don't know if that translates at all into the movie because it doesn't look like a documentary. No, not in like the filming style, but just, I guess, the tone of it and the the people that they used and the setting and everything. I'll, I'll get into that. All right. I'll okay. get into that. But um, written by William Peter Blatty, uh, who The original was, novel? Yeah, the author of the novel that only came two years beforehand, kind of like Peter Benchley with Jaws. Okay. So... It was another case of the author wanting the movie made. Very nice. And so you're saying he wrote the screenplay as well? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. He and Friedkin were feuding a lot during the production and the writing of it because there were things that um, Friedkin wanted to take out, but then um, Peter Blatty was like, oh, no, that's like integral to the plot, <laughs> things like that. And in the end, I think they ended up just sitting down with a copy of the book and going through with like a pen and a highlighter <laughs> and just like choosing what they wanted. I mean, that'd be hard, man. Like yeah. condensing a whole movie. Like if you're the... If you're the one who wrote the book, it's like, mm. right, condense my own work down yeah. to the bare bones of it that'll work for a movie. And I think I said this in the top fives episode is I've read the book and like it kept me up. Like it was, <laughs> it's a scary book, man. And um, like they kept most of, of the like action sequences, I guess you'd call it in mm-hmm. the film. Um, but they were just more, I guess, violent or um, more enduring in the book. So made it a, a more intense read but starring alan burston linda blair of course as reagan jason miller and max von cedo who played father merrin the older priest yeah yeah, yeah. the, the one like the actual the exorcist yeah and he was 42 yeah I, I was looking up a little bit about the the makeup that they did for him like mm. yeah, fucking good job he looks old yeah and even, also in his performance of like yeah he sells it as an old man the, <laughs> decrepit. Tr- the trembling and like the, yeah unsteady knees and everything well, very good, well, very good performance. That's me. I'm only twenty fucking <laughs> relatable character for you. Um, yeah, so like relatively unknown actors, and I think mm-hmm. that's what they were going for because they wanted to kind of get across that this story, this this um, horrific event could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, I did read that one of the. I think Marlon Brando wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. But they were like, no, you're Marlon Brando. We don't yeah. want you in this movie. We don't want it to be a Marlon Brando movie. We yeah. Want it to be an Exorcist movie. That's right. I think the studio wanted like stars mm. and um, Friedkin and Blatty were like adamant. They just wanted some relative no names. And I'm sure it launched their careers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, Linda Blair went on to also be in The Exorcist 2, which bombed. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, speaking of like other actors, um, Jack Nicholson expressed interest in playing Father Karras. Is there anything he didn't, like he wasn't up for in the fucking 70s or I know. 80s? Yeah. Like I you make can... one horror movie that's, that's successful, all of a sudden it's like every single horror movie has to consider Jack Nicholson. Well, Father Karras in this isn't a bad character per se. He's, he's troubled. Um, and... Jamie Lee Curtis and Violet from the original Willy Wonka were considered for Regan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apparently, um, Janet Lee said uh, she didn't want Jamie Lee Curtis to audition because she thought it was too horrifying. But what the hell? And Violet just would have been horrible. I think. Yeah. Um, do you, <laughs> what is that actor's name? Do you even have that? Or just oh, Violet? I can't, from- <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name. I'd never heard of it before. So I was like, oh, if I say Violet from Willy Wonka, he'll know. Imagine that though, like Janet, Janet Lee, obviously from Psycho, played Marion Crane, for mm. those who remember our first episode. Yeah. Uh, just like, imagine if her daughter went on to be Regan in The Exorcist. Like, yeah. mother and daughter, two very famous horror movies, that would have mm. been great. Well, I mean, she went on to, to be obviously the final girl in the Halloween saga, so she kind of held the, the family title. Yeah, probably probably ended up better for her in the long run, but yeah. I, would, I think that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one last note I'll make about the, the cast of this film 
Father Tom and Dyer, the friends of Father Karras, were real reverends. Oh, they, yeah. They weren't actors. And uh, in the the medical procedure scene, they were real radiologists. And I don't believe they were credited either. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, a little fact there. Uh, also, the voice actor. Mercedes McCambridge was the voice of Possessed Regan. Yeah. Pazuzu. 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 Yeah. Uh, and I think she had to, what, sue to actually get credited because Warner Brothers didn't put her credit on anything. That's what it was, yeah. 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 But um, she, she did a good job. Yeah, and... <laughs> Went through the ringer to do it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess when they were filming that, they must have just had Linda Blair, like, either mouth the words and just listen to the recording or she would have just, like, mouthed the dialogue and then they used ADR or maybe she just said it anyway and they just, like, muted that shot. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they would have done... The scene first and then added it later or recorded the like audio yeah. and then she tried to sync it up. Because I was reading a bit about like the process for recording the audio and Mercedes McCambridge would apparently, she used to be an alcoholic oh, okay. and then was then sober for a long time. But then mm. for the role, she just started like chugging whiskey, oh, like smoking really? like cigarettes. I wow. think she, well, there was one of she was just like constantly eating raw egg yolks oh, to try and just get her voice mucousy and raspy. Oh, and that's cool. There were times where they, obviously, she consented, but with times where they would strap her to a chair and like literally tie her in to record the voices, so that it was like realistic that she was struggling and trying to get. Oh, out. you can hear like the strain in her voice, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, so, that's intense. And then to to go through that and then not get credited, that's that's I guess why she sued. Yeah, well, I have heard that. Uh, William Freakin was quite a, a strict and uh, harsh director. Like, it, it, to get what he wanted, he went to some extreme lengths. And I believe Alan Burstyn and Linda Blair got, like, persisting back injuries from, from the shooting of this. Yeah, the scene where I think Regan slaps her and she goes flying across the room. Yeah. She was attached to a harness that they pulled. Mm. But they, what, didn't tell her when it would get pulled and then pulled way too hard. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember in that scene or in that shot you can see her fall to the ground um and she like reaches for her back <laughs> apparently that was just like just real genuine, just genuine. Yeah. and then i think where Regan got hurt oh sorry where where linda blair got hurt was when she was strapped to a board when she's like violently being sort of thrown about on the bed um about halfway through the movie and the strap that tied her to it was coming loose so she was just like slamming against <laughs> the board each time it went back or forward again fun so, fun yeah yeah rough it was made on a budget of $11 million, which I think originally uh, they planned for four. So they went hella over budget hella because over budget. of reshoots um, and numerous delays. Yep. Took about 200 days to, yeah. to wrap finally with this one. Which is wild, uh, particularly when you're shooting with a young girl that's like about to hit puberty. Oh, yeah, true. So I, I'm surprised that um, yeah they, they didn't get any kind of push in that regard. Uh, but made $441.3 million at the box office. Which I I'm, I don't know much about box office and inflation and stuff, mm. but I think adjusted for inflation, it's meant to be the highest grossing Warner Brothers movie of all time. Wow, because I believe I, that. I think adjusting for inflation, it's over two billion dollars. Jesus, and then that's the, impressive. Yeah, I think the next highest might be like the Deathly Hallows Part One or Two, which oh, okay, I can made see that. like one and something billion dollars. True. See, I saw also, that Barbie is already almost overtaking that. <sighs> Barbie's already over. Him. Oh. I mean. I think it At was, or over a billion. That's interesting. I think it was just this morning that I read Oppenheimer is officially the highest grossing film in history that's not been number one. So that would make sense if Barbie has trumped that. Okay, yeah. 
because obviously they're just competing. I mean, that's quite impressive. They drop the same weekend and they're they're both like one and two. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's solid. And then talk to me is just putting along. <laughs> I've not seen either, but go see talk to me. I'm still beating <laughs> that drum. Um, but yeah, because I've I've read stories of like people waiting out in the cold for hours queuing at the theaters to see this um and it released 26th of december so <laughs> it's day, a christmas day movie. after christmas and it's this fucking satanic film about this young girl being possessed so that was hilarious um but yeah on that note it was the highest grossing horror film until the 2017 it well there you go so Alrighty then yeah it's uh definitely uh, a phenomenon and also the first horror to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. It okay. did not win, but it did, however, win Best Adapted Screenplay, going to William Peter Blatty, and Best Sound, which I think oh, was totally nice. worth it. Yeah, like, surely. Just talking then about like the demon voice and, and all the cool effects in this. Well, how many, how many horror movies can you think of that have been either nominated or won an Academy Award? Like, Jaws? I think, I think Jaws, uh, Silence of the Lambs was, yeah. I think, one. Get Out. Either one or was nominated. Mm, yeah, Get Out won um, for... What was it? Screenplay, I think. Original screenplay. Potentially. Because this was Best Adapted Screenplay. But yeah, Get Out was Best Original mm. Screenplay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's rare. Point. It's rare for a horror movie to make its way into the Academy Awards. For sure, yeah. <laughs> Pause take a for coffee. My coffee. <laughs> it's important. Um, but yeah, you said before, like, uh, a hella lengthy shoot. And because the director was just so adamant about getting exactly what he wanted. They would sometimes, you know, have over 20 takes of the same scene and shoot well into the next morning and numerous delays as well, because there were rumors at the time of it being a cursed production (laughs) where like the set caught fire on its own and, um, cast and crew members, you know, were either injured, got sick or died Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. during or after the, the process. And yeah, people just think like, because they had a lot of like Catholic priests and, sort of um, religious advisors, I guess, on set. Like, a lot of them were warning them that, you know, if you do anything on the devil, it's going to result in, in disaster. Yeah, but, I mean, if anything, having all those fathers and priests there should make it the least cursed movie because you got all that yeah. fucking holy protection. Blessing it. Yeah, blessing it, holy water everywhere. Mm, I think it was all just superstition, but I believe they utilised some of that to, like, promote the film as well, like, before yeah, it was released. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like that Blair Witch tactic, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I presume all of our listeners have seen this or if not, they at least know about it or they've seen the fucking scary movie parody <laughs> of this to know what happens. Yes. But, um, to, to put it succinctly, I would say it's just like a demon possessing a young girl and just like defiling its human host in the most horrendous ways it can think of. And it's all, it's, it's made all the more shocking by the fact that Regan McNeil is this like sweet and innocent 12 year old girl. girl. Yeah. yeah. And just, it's hard to watch. Like some of these scenes, it's dated visually in some ways because obviously it's predominantly, or it's entirely practical effects and makeup. But but there's not a single effect that doesn't look good. No, no, I think it's sick. Like you go back and watch, I haven't seen the Poltergeist, but I've seen clips and stuff from it. Mm. And the effects, some of the effects in that can be a bit, how you going? Love old movies. But this, like every single effect they did looks good. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's aged well. And it's just, yeah, very confronting a very difficult watch and uh, very profane for its time, of course. Mm. I mean, <laughs> wait. Last, last man with the crucifix? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, like, fucking head spinning around 360 degrees. And even just, like, the obscenities and the viscera of this film. Like, just. I mean, anytime someone says cunting in a movie, 
I'm I'm a fan. Doctor a, drops the C bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good word, cunting. Like we should <laughs> use it more. It would have been like yeah, it would have been very obscene in a film for its time, but it's used in that moment as comic relief. Yeah. Because like the doctor drops it in the office and he and the mum just laugh out of like awkwardness. So I kind of liked its use. It wasn't yeah. just like for shock. But it, it in that was, instance? In that instance. In the other times in the movie it's used for shock. Oh yeah. For like to show how fucking far this twelve year old girl's been possessed. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do like that when they're in the doctor's office initially and they're like, oh, it's ADD or a brain lesion or something. And um, she's like spitting in their face, like, <laughs> keep your hands off me, motherfucker. Like, yeah, things yeah. like that. It's it's intense. And I, I watched in an interview that Linda Blair, when she was auditioning and they gave her, I think, segments of that part of the script to read. And she was like, oh, how am I going to tell my mom what kind of like film I'm auditioning for? <laughs> so that was funny. But um, yeah, like I touched on it before. I think what makes this film so timeless and such an impactful story and watch is that all this horror is happening to ordinary people. While it is like an upper class home mm-hmm. and, you know, the mother is a famous actor and they have servants and shit. Like it's, it's a relatively like simple setting and... Um, nothing kind of antagonizes it apart from the fact that it's revealed Regan's been playing with this Ouija board. Yeah. I mean, somehow is, found in a closet. Yeah. Well, is is that the movie saying that that's the reason for it? Well... Because it doesn't get too deep into, like, why it's happening. Other than, yeah, she has been using mm, a Ouija board, but that could be just a coincidence. Yeah, it's very ambiguous. I think the Ouija board was put in there to kind of show that Regan has invited it. And it's not so much forcing itself upon this family. But then you do get that opening sequence in Iraq where mm. Father Marin finds that old, like, demon head sculpture um, in the archaeology dig, uh, which I guess is kind of to insinuate that there have always been, like, foreign demonic entities throughout history. And okay. it's, it's an old force that has just been recycled to all these souls that just tortures for the fun of it. I was going to say I'm a dum-dum because... I kind of still don't understand that stuff. Like, mm. like it's a very long opening part of the movie where it's Father Merrin in Iraq, buying yeah. all that stuff. And then the very end of the movie, like during the exorcism, you exorcism, you also see that same statue that he sees in Iraq. Yeah. Almost yeah. to say like, it's the same demon as that statue was. Mm. I just don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, I just want to mention on that note, they use like an actual... 10 foot statue of that demon and apparently one of the delays in filming was that he got shipped to Hong Kong instead of America <laughs> okay. for filming well is that it has like a snake as a dick right did I see <laughs> that it? right I, I thought it just had like snake coiling around his legs I didn't know it was <laughs> okay maybe I don't know <laughs> bloody hell Medusa's uh, ideal boyfriend <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that opening sequence is, is really interesting. I mean, it's, it's loaded with symbolism. Like you've got that shot of the, the sun between like Merrin and that statue almost having like a standoff between good and evil Mm -hmm. with like the dogs fighting in the background, which is really nice. But, um, was that scene longer than you remember watching the director's cut on DVD? Uh, yes. Yeah. The whole, the whole beginning of the beginning of the movie seems a lot longer than I remember. Yeah. Because originally I'd only seen... Obviously, the non-director's edition, the the regular theatrical, which yeah. I was upset about because it didn't have the spider crawl scene, which I was yeah. excited to see. Yeah, and then this was my first time watching the director's like, what's it? What is it, what's it called? The the this. Um, well, I think the DVD just says director's cut. Oh, it's it's like the version you've never seen or something. Oh yeah, it's the one that he went back the tagline. And, yeah, just added all the shit he originally wanted to be in there. Because I think it was like twelve minutes extra footage, but 
a lot of the things that were cut from it was some of Peter William Peter Blatty's favorite scenes or things like I said before that he thought were core to the story, hmm. but Freakin either scratched it because it was like too blatantly saying something that was inferred by the rest of the film. Oh, yeah. Or that scene that you're talking about where she's like <laughs> spider walking backwards down the stairs with blood running out of her mouth. They cut that because the wires were visible. And then oh, okay. on the 2000 DVD re-release, they were able to use CGI to remove them. So they put it back in there. That's cool. I've heard some, not backlash, but some people say that they prefer the original because that, especially that scene comes in a point in the movie that's too early. Yeah. Like not enough has happened for that to, like for it to go to, you know, jumps to 11 too mm. quickly. I mean, like, that's fair, I guess, because it starts off, like I forgot that apart from the Iraq scene, like the establishing scene where it shows the family home, it opens with like the open window in a room and the scratching in the attic. Mm, I thought yeah. that was way later. And then even the possession. I We were watching it and all right, she was a normal little girl. They had the Ouija board stuff. Yep. I went and took a leak. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you, want, do you want me to pause it? I'm like, no, no, it's okay. It's a slow movie. Yep. I won't miss much. Came back not two minutes later and she was in the hospital swearing and fucking yeah. possessed. I'm like, what did I miss? Yeah. It's, it's kind of sudden, but I think <laughs> like it, it, they've almost nailed it because it's, it's about a two hour long film and about halfway through is when things really kick off. I think like yeah. when the bed's rocking violently and everyone sees it, that's like the halfway point. So it's really well paced. Um, but I think the first half kind of takes place over like week, maybe weeks. Mm-hmm. So and then the second, well, second half, I guess, takes even longer. Yeah. Cause they just kind of jump between numerous like doctor's appointments and medical examinations and things like that. Um, and then when it jumps from Iraq to Georgetown in Washington, yep. which I believe is where William Peter Blatty grew up. So he knew okay, the setting then. very well. Um, it's really cool to introduce the McNeil family because you've got like Chris, the actress, mother, and then Reagan, and then Sharon. Would you say she's like a sitter? She's kind of like... Yeah, a- assistant sitter, yeah. just house body. And then like the elderly couple, servant couple mm. that uh, kind of help around the house and somehow didn't know there was a Ouija board in the closet and Chris doesn't know how it got there. I mean, this film must have turned everyone off Ouija boards for years. <laughs> yeah, well, even I think everyone's got a little bit of like, ooh, Ouija boards, I don't know. Yeah. I've used one a couple did, times. Did it work? It did. It was... Oh, there you go. scared me shitless at first, <laughs> but after a while, like the, the spirit we were connecting with had a sense of humor. Okay. So it was actually kind of cool. But um, I was still probably too young to do it. But um, <laughs> yeah. And because uh, what did she call the Captain Howdy? Captain Howdy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the hell she did. Did she from. call it that? Or did, was the ghost like, call me Captain Howdy? Oh, uh, yeah, fair. Cause to I, try and like lure her into, I don't know, being friends with it. Yeah. I know the, the law is that demons do like to mimic children and, and mm. like friendly spirits to to be invited in. So that could be the case. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, then one of the core characters, of course, is Father Karras, we've mentioned, who is this Catholic priest um, and psychologist. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, sorry. (laughs) Um, And he's a really interesting character because uh, he blatantly says, like, he's losing his faith. Yep. Um, And, you know, he smokes, he drinks, which was probably just the style at the time because the doctor is smoking in his office as well. Well, I don't think there's anything in, like the Bible necessarily that says you can't be a priest and not smoke and drink. Isn't it? I mean, they li- you're literally drinking the body, the fucking, what is it? The, no, the, the blood of Christ is wine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I, I think it, 
there might be I'm not religious at all and mm. I don't know much about it yeah. but there's probably something in it to say you shouldn't be like indulging in oh, okay like, like gluttony gluttony and stuff like that got ya got ya but yes yeah, definitely no reason not mm. to smoke or drink as He's a priest a man a boxer <laughs> as well I like how they've portrayed his character. Like he's a priest, so he obviously um, wants to look out for the well-being of others, and he cares deeply for his mother, of course, because he feels guilty of her death when she dies alone. But he like ignores the homeless man at the mm-hmm. train station. I just like that juxtaposition of how he can kind of walk past someone in need on the street. But then his job is helping people and like listening to the mayor their grievances. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Like he's a man of God that's lost his faith in humanity. Yeah, because like, does he explicitly say why when he's like meeting up with with Tom? I don't know. I think it's just kind of the, the vibe I get is just he tries to help people, mm. but nobody can help them because they need to help themselves. Gotcha. And so okay. like, I wasn't sure if it was that or like he just keeps seeing the worst in people, so he's like given up hope. I think he's given up hope just because he can't change anything Mm, okay it just seems futile to him but yeah like i said it's some pretty obvious symbolism in that regard as well like when he has the dream of his mother like falling down the stairs and he can't get to her fast enough in the crowd things Mm -hmm. like that so i can see why freaking and bloody had a lot of disputes um blood disputes (laughs) nice in 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 what to keep and what to cut um for what might have been like perceived as too on the nose Mm -hmm. for someone that specialized in film as opposed to someone that wrote the book, who also um, used to specialise in comedy writing before The oh, Exist, by the way. That was his first foray into horror. Damn. Well, I, I kind of imagine that writing a book, you kind of need to go into a lot more detail mm, because yeah, it's yeah. it's purely word-based, whereas yeah. like a, a filmmaker or a documentarian, like they can get messages across with just visuals. True, true. Yeah, that's, that's probably something that would have caused... A lot of friction, I suppose, between mm. them. Uh, but yeah, we mentioned before about like the medical procedures. Some people have said that's like what makes them the most queasy. Not like the vomit. <laughs> I or... mean, that, there's that scene where she gets like, I don't know what she... like an, In the neck? In the neck. I, like, yeah. I don't know what it is because it's not an MRI. I, I think it's like where they're injecting a dye so they can... Yeah. Like a magnetic dye or whatever. It's got a really long name, but it's so the blood vessels show in your brain yeah. when they scan you. Well, nowadays, it's like a PET scan, P-E-T. Mm. But back in the day, I don't know if it's the same stuff. But yeah, they right. like put the needle in her neck and it's just like you can see the spurts of blood coming yeah. out because it's obviously you know, like carotid or something. Yeah, and they like put a wire down there as well. Yeah. Like a uh, good, I don't know, over a foot long, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that just looks uncomfortable. Just gnarly. Yes. But yeah, and, and after like all of these appointments and things, because like I said, that was like first half of the movie, trying to figure out what's wrong with Regan. And I like just blistering performance from Alan Burson as this distraught mother who is at her wit's end because she's seen every doctor and psychiatrist in her reach that can possibly help her sick daughter. And she's literally got this room full of doctors and they suggest exorcism. Yeah. So it's like, they've tried everything. They don't know what else to do. Let's I mean, send it to a witch doctor. I, well, I like that they, even though they do suggest an exorcism, even in that moment, they're like putting it forward as, it's not really an exorcism. It's like the power of suggestion. It only, yeah. it only works because it's, like a, almost a like a like a placebo effect. Yeah. Like if yeah. the if the subject thinks it works, it yeah. works. Yeah. If they believe that they are possessed, then they believe that they can get rid of it. Yeah. So like you can't really dispute it. Like the mm. exorcism works, but it's because they believe they do. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you see the fucking like early morning daytime TV shows back in the day of like in churches when people press their thumb on their forehead and they like shake violently <laughs> to the floor and they found God kind of thing. I guess it's like that. 
I don't know. I've probably just offended any of our religious <laughs> listeners again. Um, I guess after those first few signs, I really like how you see the desecrated Virgin Mary statue mm-hmm. in the church. You've got Burke, the director of the film that Chris is starring in, being shot at the university at the party insulting, like, what he calls him, the Nazi yeah, servant. Like the, Nazi the German, bastard. Yeah. yeah, the German servant. So it's kind of like when the detective gets involved and he's, like, investigating the homicide of the director when he's found at the bottom of the stairs with his head the wrong way, it kind of sets up this red herring that perhaps the the servant, Carl, could have murdered Burke, but also perhaps a priest did the desecration in the church like as part of black mass Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's how like he meets up with father Karras to ask you know like as a psychiatrist has he spoken to any like disturbed members of his society (laughs) so they kind of like have all these leads which is really nice yeah a lot of different directions that it could go a lot of different theories it could posit yeah yeah and because realistically it's like well it's it's called the exorcist (laughs) yeah yeah like as the viewer we know that they're all just dead ends because we've seen like we've seen these characters interact with others and how they really are so you can see it's not them but in the eyes of the law you can see how it would look mm-hmm, suspicious mm-hmm. so i just thought that was just really good writing and when the the bed is rocking violently that was just like poles attached to the bedpost through the wall and just some burly men on the other side just like <laughs> shaking them lifting them up and down turning a crank just beautiful practical effect yeah man and even like um the detective goes to their house to to ask you know, if anyone else would have been in the house when he suspects Carl might be responsible for Burke's death. And it's like, as soon as he leaves, there's like screaming from upstairs. So Chris runs up there and there's like shit flying against the door, um, furniture thrown everywhere. And that's when you get like the crucifix scene, I think. Yeah, that scene is, I think, one of the best horror moments I've ever seen. Because so much just happens <laughs> in that room over like a 30 second period. It's like... Yeah, it's obscene. It's sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In all the right ways. In every sense of the word obscene. Yeah, yeah. It's just so memorable. And I think that might have been what, like, scarred me the most. Because <laughs> I saw this, like, too young. Well, yeah, I, I was almost... too young when I saw this. But it's like we've said um, in the first couple episodes, even things like Alien um, and Signs and uh, this, like, or even Jaws and Scream, like, it's films that terrified us as a kid that become <laughs> our favourites because it did yeah. its job. Yeah, it it left a an impression, and I that that's how I fucked up. I didn't watch this until I was the ripe old age of twenty four, probably. And I mean, I probably talked up too much over the years. Yeah, it, it, when it, when a movie's got like the scariest movie ever made on its fucking DVD cover, yeah, it's setting yeah. the expectations a little too high. Well, I think the only other film I've seen that has done that is the twenty thirteen Evil Dead remake. I think pitched it as uh... like the movie poster. I think had the words the most terrifying film you'll ever see or something okay. like that. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either because like, we know my reservations about that film, but it's not bad. I, I just it. didn't think it needed to be made. Yeah, I mean, it was like horrifying to watch, but for a film that was, you know, done in 73, like this definitely <laughs> takes the cake for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and anyway, when like Father Karras visits the home and, and he sees Regan for the first time, because obviously... Chris goes to her after the doctors suggest a priest for an exorcism and he just sends her back to doctors. I love that she's like, how do you go about getting an exorcism? Just out of the blue. Yeah. And he's like... She's not here to fuck spiders. Yeah. And he's like, well, first I'd tell you to get a time machine and go back to the (laughs) 15th century. 
Yeah. That was good. I mean, I like that they don't dance around it. Like, she comes straight out and says that, no, I need an exorcism mm. because my daughter is possessed. Mm. And even once he actually does go to the house, it doesn't try to, like, fuck around. It's yeah. not, oh, is she possessed? Is she not possessed? Almost from the get-go. Like, it's just him proving that she is possessed. Well, she's... The mother has tried everything and it just shows her desperation. Mm. Like, she will find a stranger in the street and blurt <laughs> out that she needs an exorcism. Because she's got like a black eye at that point as well. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she's had her face shoved in between her daughter's bloody legs. <laughs> it's gnarly, gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love when he first goes into her room and it's j- the demon's just like, "What an excellent day for an exorcism!" <laughs> like that's got to be one of the best, I think, horror quotes in my mind. I've dropped best too often in this episode. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm putting this on too was, much of pedestal. It was expected in one, in one of your top five movies, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's definitely got to be one of the better ones in my mind. Um, and I love when it, like, spits up the vomit that was meant to hit him in the chest. And it cops him, like, square in the face with his, like, gaping mouth. Mm-hmm. And that was just accidental because uh, I think they had let the... Because what was the vomit? Was it, like, Pan Am soup and oatmeal? I think it was just pea soup, yeah. Yeah, and they had that in, like, a like a water gun type thing. Um, and he already had the pressure ready to go. And they took too long to set up the shot. And he was worried it was going cold. So, he was like, come on, let's shoot it, let's shoot it. So, he just, like, <laughs> launched it. Got the angle wrong. But it just works because it just makes his disgusted reaction legit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think the, the actor Jason Miller was fuming after that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it worked. A similar thing happened. I think I, I've heard that the director fired blanks behind him uh, during filming to get a shocked expression on his face, I've, but didn't tell him. Yeah, I've heard he did that to a couple of crew members. Yeah, and apparently that pissed him off a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, some dude's like shooting a gun behind you. Fuck yeah. That. I mean, he even went to that length with, uh, I think it was one of the, it was one of the reverends, yeah, um, that weren't actors really, uh, when um, Father Karras like, jumps out the window at the end and tumbles down the stairs and he's mm-hmm. like bloodied at the bottom with people around him. Um, when he's like holding his hand and reading his last rites and trembling, like mm-hmm. he's actually shaking and crying because that was like the 15th odd take of that <laughs> and it just wasn't right. And in the end, the director just approached him and slapped him across the <laughs> face and then said action. So oh, yeah, just he was actually trembling. A world without union. I know, <laughs> man. Like it's, it's wild. Like we've the spoken. Shit, of, you can get away with. I know. We've, we've spoken about this with, um, you know, directors like Kubrick, for example, and it's, it's like borderline harassing the cast, but it gets you know the response they want. Yeah. Uh, as long as they don't go as far as fucking cannibal holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, another really sick element of this film that I thought was really original was when he like tape records his conversation with the demon and he plays it to like a friend who like specializes in languages, languages I guess. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I know what that is. It's English. <laughs> it's <laughs> just, turn- just backwards. Yeah. It turns I mean, out it's ha- in reverse. How good's that dude? Like recognize that it's just speaking backwards based on one recording. I just love it's like multiple voices though. Mm. And they like overlap and um, I think as well, they were mixing the sounds of animals like dogs and pigs, pigs hamsters even, I think, um, into the dialogue. So you can just hear all, like the growling and the raspiness and all that, which just so cool. Like no no wonder it won best sound. Oh, yes. And I love the, the help me scars on the stomach. 
Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. It gives, give me a real, um, like, Friday the 13th. No, fuck, I always do it. Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare uh, Elm Street. 3 vibes. Where yeah. It's come and get him. Yeah, yeah. That was really nice. And it's showing that, like, Regan very much is still in there still and, in like, there. aware of everything that's happening, which just makes it all the more kind of harrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like in that shot, I think it's the first time you see the room, like, really cold. Because, like, that wheezy breath that you can hear out of Regan is visible. Mm-hmm. And because it was in the 70s, they just had to chill the room to get that. <laughs> just so, work in a giant freezer. Yeah, they just set up a bunch of air conditioners and got the room down to an average of negative 20 degrees. That's Jesus. Celsius. Gee, what the fuck? Yeah. And so everyone was like rugged up in like leg warmers and things under their costumes. But Regan just had like underwear and a nightgown. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. So I don't know how she didn't get like fucking okay. hypothermia from that yeah, or anything. Like, prop, props to her. 12-year-old girl. Yeah, right. So... <laughs> That was cool. More practical effects uh, at the expense of the actors. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting when Merrin gets introduced uh, to the family and you get that iconic shot when he jumps out the cab in the shaft of light by the lamppost. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of walks in there and introduces himself to everyone. He's very like mild-mannered and polite and calm. And Father Karras... Uh, is like, you know, do you, do you want to hear the background of the case first? I really mm. think it would benefit you. And he just says, why? Yeah, it, and, it won't help. Yeah. Well, what I love about that is Chris has gone to so many doctors that all they ask are all these questions and want to run all these tests and they're hesitant to do anything about it because they want to get to the root of the problem first. And then you've got this spiritual man that comes along and he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> like he's ready to act without needing anything Well, answered. I think they say he's the only one that has actually done an exorcism. Yeah, it was like a, a girl or a boy in Africa. Or boy right? in Africa, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just thought that was really nice. It's like you get the one guy that he's there to help and he does not ask any questions. I think it also goes to show like the juxtaposition of him and Damien where it's like Damien's a man... Of God, but mm. still has like the psychiatric background. He's like, All right, I've noticed three distinct personalities. Yeah. But the priest doesn't care. He's like, I don't mm. care about no psychiatric shit. There's yeah. a demon. Let's get the demon out. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. It's like medical science versus power of belief. Yeah. Mm. Um, and when they perform the exorcism, which is hella intense, and then they take a break and he's like, all right, we'll begin again soon. <laughs> it's like, you just have to do it in rounds. Because I think they say the one in Africa took months, right? Yeah, like nearly killed well, him. I think they say like 20 days. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and when Regan's body is like levitating with the milky eyes, uh, I think I might have said this in the, the top fives episode, it was dotted wires. And I was on rewatching this week. I could see them because I was looking out for them. <laughs> but if you didn't know they were there, it'd be easy to miss. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see them. Yeah, because uh, apparently the... I can't remember whose idea it was, but someone on set um, when they were shooting that scene... Um, paint the the wires black every, you know, like 15 centimeters or so. Um, and that way it blends into dark backgrounds. And mm-hmm. because the lighting was just like lamps um, and, and a lot of the wallpaper was in shadow, it just happened to, to work really well. Indeed. And then you get that famous line, the power of Christ compels you, which... I, they I just use repeat. Often. They repeat fucking 20 times. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I wonder like if they had a number of times specifically set out in the script or whether they were like, all right, you're just going to say this vehemently and when we slowly <laughs> eventually lower Regan's body back to the bed, you can stop. I mean, I feel like judging on the, like the stories from the director, he probably had it narrowed down to, right, you got to do it this many times. It's yeah. going to be perfect. And there is a goof in there. Like, I mean, apart from the wires, I think that's the only noticeable thing. But 
you know when they perform that exorcism at the end and they strap her hands together and then there's that shot of her like silhouette on the bed and that like statue is mm-hmm. in the room as yep. well and she's like reaching for the light and then in the next shot her hands are bound again. <laughs> I was like, oh, I really fucking love that shot, but it doesn't make they like, fuck it up. continual sense. That's fine. It's yeah. easy to overlook. I think it's just been overlooked for the years because of how cool that shot is. Um, and I also love the shot after that when Merrin dies and it's just a close-up of the holy water dribbling out. Yeah. That, that's really nice. Kind of reminded me of the end of Arachnophobia. <laughs> after the earthquake <laughs> and the wine just gurgling out. Yeah. That was nice. Um, yeah, and then at the end, of course, uh, Father Karras, you know, says, take me or whatever, and it, it jumps into him, and he launches out the window and tumbles down those those 97 steps. Apparently, they layered each of those with rubber and just had the stuntman go down there three times. <laughs> just fucking send him down. Yeah, he said the he said the method was that you just let your body go completely relaxed, yeah. because if you tense up, obviously, you're going to get bruised and whatnot. Well, that's why I think drunk drivers usually come out the best in like car accidents because if they're asleep at the wheel, which is usually what drunk drivers when they crash, they're asleep. Yeah, like their body is completely limp because they're unconscious, and oh, so they're the ones that survive instead of like the people they're hitting. Yeah, bit, wow, of, a, okay. bit of a morbid fact, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, you're always providing us with the morbid <laughs> facts. Look at the witch episode. Yeah, well. I miss your facts. You know what else I miss in the episodes what? is when you say wheat shot would be your painting on the wall. Well, I think this one would very clearly be the the one with the fucking statue in the room. Okay, okay. Let's yeah. let's bring that back. Let's I'll, make that I'll a segment. It, yeah, right. I, I completely <laughs> forgot about it. To be a honest. regular segment. Um, yeah, and so he tumbles down those steps, which are uh, legit steps in in Georgetown. They didn't change those at all, apart from the the rubber on them. Mm-hmm. And um, there's now like graffiti there saying the Exorcist <laughs> steps, and people like travel the world to get photos. I there mean, and yeah, stuff. famous steps, bro. Yeah, hella, like, hella vertical too. Like, yeah. like imagine just going on a world tour of just like horror sites. Oh, That'd be cool. We've got to do that one yeah. of these days. I don't know if we ever go to America. I mean, I still want to go to America for a Halloween, just to see the <laughs> the jack o' lanterns everywhere and the kids trick or treating. And, and I just think it'd be really cool. Shots and such. <laughs> well, I can hear that here. Yes, well, <laughs> going to sleep to the sound of sirens. But yeah, it's um the story of the film is. Quite simple. It's um, it's I mean, it's literally yeah, a, a, a girl getting possessed, mm. a mother that will do anything to not have her possessed. Yeah, a man who's lost his faith, who finds his faith again. Yeah, and succeeds. Although yeah. he is going to hell, unfortunately. Yeah, suicide yeah. is a mortal sin. Yeah, but he did it to save a little suicide's girl. A, I don't know. Suicide's a mortal sin. Bro. I don't think there's a loophole. There's yeah, probably so. heaps of loopholes in well, the Bible. Well, I mean, lucky for you, because mm. we were in the mood for exorcist and religious stuff. We watched Constantine afterwards oh, last night. Nice, And the nice. big point of that movie is he's destined to go to hell because he committed suicide. Yeah, okay. That's one of my favorite non-horror films. If uh, It's got horror elements. It's, but ho- it's- yeah, it's, it's as close to horror, I think, as you can get without... I think being horror. Yeah, because I mean, I put that up there with films like Hellboy and mm. Van Helsing and things yeah. like that, where it's like supernatural but not necessarily horror. Yes. Um, and there's some sick shots in that. Like, I just remember the scene when the guy can't drink mm-hmm. liquid. Yeah. And he's in the liquor store, and you see it like gurgling in the bottle. That yeah. was nice. What something I picked up on when we watched it last night that I hadn't before is mm. they say he died by like drinking. So I think mm. all of that was just an illusion that 
uh, is it Balthazar or something? Yeah. Puts on him that Gavin, he, Gavin Rossdale from Bush. Yeah. That he like he's putting an illusion on, so the guy doesn't think he's drinking, but he yeah. actually is. Because well, when you see him dying, he, he drowns. Just, right? He drowns. Yeah. 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 So I think that's a nice touch. Yeah, and also the visual effects at the end when they just like the devil pulls his cancerous yeah. lungs out of him. Well, that's where all the money went instead of the shots in hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks okay. very, very green, uh, lant- green and, lantern. I mean, well, this I is, may as well, green screen. This is becoming a little fucking um, segue into a Constantine mini episode, <laughs> but I just love so many shots in that. Um, another thing is just the whole concept of how he like transports to hell and he's got like <laughs> one foot in the boiling water, pets a cat. It's just so sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So sick. Anyway, maybe one of these days we will get around <laughs> to talking about that at length, but I digress. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, back to The Exorcist. Another yes. thing I love about the, I suppose, the story of this is movie is like, it doesn't end the way you'd expect it to because mm. it's not an exorcist that they succeed and congratulations, we exorcise the demon. Yeah. Uh, it fails. And like the... Fucking the exorcist gets killed or dies somehow. Mm. It's kind of glossed over how he does die. Mm. And then the way it ends is Damien just taking the demon into himself and launching himself out the window. Like it's very unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. It's it's um it's kinda of like a stalemate between the good and evil, I guess. But uh the family is spared, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, I guess outside of like the practical effects and the makeup and and all that kind of technique for this film, I really like the moment when it's one of the doctors. It's more hypnotism. We're bringing hypnotism up a lot lately. <laughs> um, and he like hypnotizes Regan to speak directly with the demon, and it like grabs him in the crotch, and he falls backwards. Yeah. They set up this rig for him so the camera could just like f- be fixed on his face and follow him to the floor, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. And again, like some of the shots above the bed, they built up like almost like a painter's ladder, like out of this these wooden slats to just have the camera directly above them and things like that. Like, I guess that's where a lot of the money went as well. And uh, because they didn't have Steadicam yet, there's a single shot of the doctors and Sharon or Chris going up the stairs. It like starts at the front door, goes up the stairs to like the third floor to her room. Um, And they had to have the cameraman sit in this chair that was operated by like a pulley system to get that smooth <laughs> shot. Yeah. Because like we said in the Shining episode, um, I think it was only around late 70s or, or 1980 that Steadicam's invented. So yeah. Yeah, that was, um, that was cool. Just working with what they're given. And that famous shot of Merrin at the lamppost that I spoke about that was used a lot, you know, for the poster or merch or whatever, mm-hmm. was inspired by uh, the Empire of Light painting by Rene Magritte, Ooh. apparently. Which is just like this this lamp in front of like a mansion and uh, just illuminating the darkness around it. So I like when movies use like paintings mm. as as a uh, like inspiration. Like yeah. the lighthouse did that a lot. Yeah. So if this had have been the shot that became your painting, it's kind of I like. I mean, I'll be honest. I forgot about it. It might be <laughs> art imitating art imitating art. Yes. Uh, yeah, and we were talking about this before we were rolling um, about like the flashes of Pazuzu's face that you see in the house. Mm-hmm. Which, what did you say? It only happens like once in the theatrical cut. I, I only remember it happening one, happening once the first time I saw it. But yeah, okay. It happens like two or three times mm. in the final, but well, actually a lot more. Yeah, because you see the the statue head as well. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember that. Like I remember there's the first one you see is when she's at the doctor's office, which. Comes very early in the movie, I feel. Mm. And I think that's why they didn't put it in the original. It kind of seems out of place. Yeah. Like, because she's barely been possessed yet. But mm. now all of a sudden it's flash of fucking demon face. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like, the mother is downstairs. She There's a couple of flashes. Mm. And I think the lights go out. And when the lights go out, you can see the 
yeah. it's not like a clean cut. It's like a yeah, superimposed image on the side of the screen. Yeah. So they're pretty cool. What I like about that as well is it's not a jump scare because from memory, there's no music accompanied with it. Yeah. Like I, you don't get that stab of the strings to make yeah. you jump. Because, yeah, I think I feel like jump scares are only really when it's a loud sound to yeah. make you jump. Yeah. Whereas these are the jump scares without the, the sound. So these are just, just eerie. It's just subliminal messaging. <laughs> yeah. And I think that face was actually um, the effects test artist. I think her name was Eileen Dietz. So it wasn't even male. <laughs> well, I think Eileen Dietz was the stand-in. Yeah. Like yeah. She, she was the one with the makeup on. And that famous theme, I'll be honest, I didn't realize till I was researching this film, it's just Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield. I don't know what that is. It's just this famous um, like progressive um, like symphonic album, I guess you'd call it. And right. Tubular Bells is like this 20-minute track. The opening sequence is just that. It's just the start of that song. So it's not... It, made for this movie? No, they did not compose any score for The Exorcist. They just got permission that. to use that song. Because <laughs> I was going to say, this is like one of my all-time favorite horror movie scores. Yeah, yeah. Like just, well, not scores, but like themes. Mm. Like just for that one, one, one music thing. But yeah. Now fuck it. I don't, I don't care. Add that song to your playlist. Check it out if you've got to spare 20 odd minutes. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh my God, it's The Exorcist. Yes. I, I just thought that was funny. Um, yeah, so... What are your final thoughts on this cult uh, classic and a personal fave of mine? Yeah, I don't know. Because I don't want to get too much shit. It's not like I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it as much as everyone else does. Yeah, that's fair. Because obviously it's it's a possession movie, mm-hmm. which I'm not a huge fan of because I don't really have any belief in that system. Yeah. Uh, it does feel a bit slow at times, mm. especially in the beginning. Yeah. It does make up for it in the end and like that whole exorcism scene. Yeah. Uh but it's clean. It's a very clean movie. Like mm. it's it's good storytelling. It's good, very good acting, very good practical effects. Yeah. It doesn't have anything bad for it, but it doesn't have enough good things to make it one of my favorites. Okay. I mean, like we said before, it's it's a two hour film and things only really start picking up in the second half. And Regan like literally spends half the film in bed. Yes. Like majority of the film is just set in a bedroom. Like fucking Eric Stoltz in uh, Anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> It was definitely always going to be a stretch, given that it's a possession film uh, mm-hmm. for you. But mm-hmm. uh, I do like that you can appreciate, obviously, the practical effects. Yeah, and, I can appreciate and, it. I am nowhere near, near close thinking it's one of the scariest movies ever made. It did not. It does not yeah. scare me at all. Okay, okay. But I'm not a Catholic. I imagine if you're a Catholic, you believe that stuff, then it's going to have a completely different effect yeah. on you. Yeah. I'm not a 12-year-old girl, <laughs> I think. I, d- you know? <laughs> I just find it disturbing, more so is the word, because like... Just if I was there, if I was in this house and there was this young girl upstairs, like strapped to this bed, like vomiting this thick green sputum and speaking like a sailor and throwing <laughs> shit around like a poltergeist, like I'd be fucking terrified. And I think that's what scares me the most is I think about if I was in that family. Yeah, I suppose also as a parent, it would be a lot scarier for yeah. like that, just that pure. Helplessness to help your child. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. I, I'm not, I guess I'm just not the target audience for this movie. Mm. It doesn't hit the things that I find scary. And I mean, it did, it, it was revolutionary. Like, it had a hell of an impact on popular culture. It's like we said at the start, it's been parodied, it's been um, mentioned in other things. Made you still see the merch. Countless remakes, a TV show, another yeah. one, another fucking movie coming this year or next year. I think it's this year, right? This year, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm keen. So there was, there was, um, what was, the, was the second one called Heretic? The Heretic, The Exorcist yep. Heretic, which yep. apparently is awful. But yep. the, the third one was all right. It, mm. it had a shot that you really enjoy yep, or yep, a yep. scene you really enjoy of the 
The Hedgecliff is the right Hedge, in the, the hospital. Other, yeah, there she is. And then cut to the the headless <laughs> yeah. statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's and, cool. And yeah, and then I think that was like a, I don't know what year it was like in the 2010s. There was a sci-fi TV show which apparently a lot of people liked, but just okay. didn't do well enough to continue. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, the new one I'm keen for because it, it's getting the Halloween treatment. So it's David Gordon Green again. Um, and it's called The Exorcist Believer, coming mm-hmm. out, I want to say September or October, in Australian theatres at least. And it's the, the first of a trilogy that's set, uh, I think like 50 years after the original, um, as like a direct sequel. So it wipes the slate clean of everything in between again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings Alan Burstyn back as Chris McNeil. So I think the family of the possessed girls in this one, because there's two uh, in Exorcist Believer, like consult her for advice. Okay. Because they know she's lived through it. I I think I'm before watching this movie. I already have the opinion that it's a movie that does not need to be made. Okay, okay. like Halloween is fine. Yeah, be I, I was okay with that remake, requel, because like there's enough there to warrant a sequel. Mm. But like The Exorcist is a nice little closed package. Yeah, there it is, does it does wrap everything up neatly. Yeah, yeah, like, that's true. I See, know, they'll have to do a good job justifying the reason to make it well, for I me did, to enjoy it. Yeah, I did read that originally when they're in talks about it, they were just going to do a reboot, which I would not have been okay yeah, that, with. Yeah, that's definitely not okay. <laughs> yeah, but since they're looking at making it a, a sequel to a new trilogy, I'm, I'm more open to it. And I very much enjoyed the, his his take on the new Halloween trilogy, so I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. And they've already announced the next one's called Exorcist Deceiver, mm-hmm. which is why I made the joke that <laughs> they should call the third one The Exorcist Conceiver and make it a prequel to Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. It would be. Well, that, that'll be the next one. Yeah. We should do Rosemary's Baby soon because you've not seen that, have you? No. Nope. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's, it's not like up there with the practical effects like this was, but it's, it's obviously still practical being in the 60s. But yeah. The 60s? That's yeah. older than I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. It's apart from like Psycho, it's probably the only like horror from the 60s I would like consider for this pod, I'd okay. say. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Anyway, that's uh, I- I've talked everyone's ears off for probably <laughs> like an hour and a half by this point. So uh, we should uh, probably it'll wrap be things cut up. down to 50 minutes. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, first, first of the top fives crossed off we've yeah. got what nine to go yeah I'm, I'm whenever keen, we get to them yeah i'm, I'm keen to uh, to start getting to those ones because obviously we have a lot to say and um there's a couple in your list that i haven't seen since i was like a kid so i'm looking forward to revisiting hell yeah any reason to talk about the lighthouse baby <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh in the meantime you we have an email address that we mentioned last week we do yes deadhousepod at hotmail.com yes send us stuff feel free to send us any questions uh, that you would like us to answer yes, uh, yes you can also check us out on our social medias mm-hmm. deadhouse or deadhouse pod and uh any streaming service that you want to listen to us on at 5 p.m on fridays yeah in the meantime we'll be right back <laughs>